Hey everybody, it's John Lamoureux. Thanks for listening to The Hustle. Before I get into the introduction of the guest this week, I wanted to fill you in on some things. We're finally kind of getting our act together here. We're on Twitter now. Look us up at at The Hustle Pod. We're also on TuneIn, if that's how you uh, listen to podcasts. And we have a Facebook page. So look us up on Facebook. Just look for The Hustle. You know the logo. You'll know it when you see it. Good times. Communicate with us that way. We're going to be posting videos of our guests Previous episodes, we might communicate, see if people know how to contact artists we'd love to have on the podcast. Um, so let us know. Give us a like. Stay in contact with us. All right, this week we're going to talk to Baxter. He was the lead singer of the 80s band Reflex. They had a hit, in their only hit, in America anyway, in 1983 with The Politics of Dancing. That is one of my all-time favorite songs. I love that song, still to this day. It reached number 23 in the U.S., and that was pretty much it for the band. They, uh, they did one other album that got very limited distribution. I don't think it ever even saw the light of date America, uh, and that was pretty much it. He moved to L.A. about 30 years ago, and so he remains close to the music industry. He does jobs and, and gigs, nothing on quite the level of reflex, but uh, we discuss... You know, band politics, we discuss what he's been working on. He puts to bed the uh, the rumor about the politics of dancing being uh, rejected for the Footloose soundtrack. We talk about how one of their songs got on the Break-In soundtrack. Anyway, he's a super nice guy. I think I was probably a little over-enthusiastic, and I think he was probably a little overly suspicious of who I was. It's okay. These guys don't know who I am. They're kind enough to give me their time to talk, though. Anyway, here's Baxter calling me from his home in L.A. Uh, well, Baxter, thanks a lot for talking to me tonight. I, um, I'm going to kick it off. So I've obviously, I've been a fan since the very beginning. Um, I remember very distinctly hearing the politics of dancing on the radio. Um, the beauty, I think, of that song is that so many 80s songs from that period um, are now kind of overplayed, you know? I think about Come On Eileen, which came out around the same time, and how it was beloved, and then it was sort of forgotten about, and then it became so beloved again that now it's almost overplayed. People are tired of it. Whereas the politics of dancing, to me, is still just as fresh as it ever was. And I've always thought that if for whatever reason, if I managed to cure cancer or something like that, and I was invited to be on the BBC's Desert Island Disc program, I would bring the politics of dancing on the island as being one of my eight discs. To me, it's just the best of what 80s music has to offer. Um, and something that frustrates me is I keep reading you guys being kind of categorized as a synth-pop band, which... I don't know how that can be. I mean, there's actual instruments being played. If anything, you sound like The Fix or one of those other bands of the era who were never labeled that. I mean, how do you kind of approach your legacy? How do I approach my legacy? Oh, how do you dear. feel about it? Um, you know, they were, they, they were some wonderful years. Um, they were also a pain in the ass. Um, but but they were mainly they were mainly um, they were mainly a lot of fun. Um, any any band member or any band that tells you that everything was perfect all the time is lying through their back teeth. 
Um, but but we generally had a really good time together. Uh, we loved we all loved doing the same thing, which was playing together or being in the studio or playing live. Um, usually uh, sleep deprived. So, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> but we had uh, we had we had great fun doing it. That's good. How I it. it was it was the best. Uh, it was the best time. Sure. Now, what is the inspiration for that for politics and dancing specifically? And I um, are you. This is a question I have always wanted to ask. Mm-hmm. Are you fully aware that there are at least three outright Bowie references in that song? Was that uh, intentional? Which well, you tell me what those references are to you. There's DJ. There's uh, Station to Station, and there's Under Pressure. Now, granted, granted, those are terms that are not just specific to Bowie, but your voice and your sound is so obviously Bowie-influenced. Bowie's like my all-time favorite, by the way, so that's a good thing. Um, that I wondered if those were like little hints, you know, little Easter eggs of of reference points going back to what maybe the biggest influence on you was. You and know, I wondered they, if they were intentional. I'm going to be so vague here. They, they probably weren't, hmm. but looking back on it, I can understand how somebody would actually think that. Oh. Um, I mean, both 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 uh, both Paul and I were were big Bowie fans, um, but I, I think I, I think I had him I think I had him trumped on that because I, I I'm just a massive Bowie fan. I always have yeah. been. I, I've, I've, you know, it's been, it's simply been a case of, um, how can I put this? I would, I would hate to officially sit down and meet that man because I don't want him to disappoint me, yeah. and I don't want to disappoint him. Yeah. Um, so he's, you know, I've met, lo- I've met lots and lots and lots of my idols. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, it doesn't matter if you're somebody's, you know, um, somebody's favorite or whatever. You, you know. As musicians, we all have our favorites. Um, so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> David Bowie would definitely be a uh-huh. big part of that time. Um, I had that thrown at me all the time, actually. Um, I, I actually started off as a T-Rex fan. Sky was right it all out like a you were bird. Fly it all out like an eagle in a sunbeam, ride it all out like a you were bird. Wear a tall hat like a druid in the old days, wear a tall hat and a touch of gown. Ride a white swan that the people love. And that kind of rolled into David Bowie. Um kind of a little bit yeah, it was a little bit after Hunky Dory, so it would have been um it would have been Ziggy. Uh okay. that, that smacked me and then I went back to Hunky Dory because I was embroiled in I was embroiled in T Rex at that point. Got it. Uh, so yeah. But, okay. but I am I am still a massive David Bowie fan, yes. Yeah. So the the <laughs> references were not intentional. They they may have just uh, creeped in on their own. Uh, you know, I'm I'm sure okay. I'm sure they've just crept in, yeah. Okay. So what so then going back, what's the uh what was the inspiration of that song? Where'd it come from? 
Well, the inspiration of that song, you'd have to ask Paul about. Oh, um, okay. Uh, so he was uh, he was he was the writer on that song, and um, I assumed you, you co-wrote the, it. Obviously, okay. I was obviously I was the um, you know I was I was obviously as important as everybody else in the band as as an arranger, and obviously as a as whatever I did vocally. Uh-huh. Um, there were parts of there were parts of the songs I had more input in uh, input on than others. Got it. Um, but, uh, but Paul Paul was Paul was definitely the the creator of that song. Okay. Um, and, and we've talked a lot about that over the years. Um, but yeah, I mean, huh. he walked he walked he walked in one day with that song, and um, it was just another one of the songs. It just turned out to be really you know the way that the way that the song was arranged, um, kind of just lent itself to uh, to me as a vocalist. Um, yeah. Uh, which I'll be eternally grateful for. But oh. um, yeah, it's yeah. the greatest. Uh, I I play it for my kids. I mean, I I um, I just think, like I said, I think it embodies the best of the different facets of what you typically think of when you think of '80s music. The synth. The, now everyone thinks about synthesizers, but yours were like urgent, and there were hooks there, and the guitar was glam rock placed over these, and the bass was there was funky bass going on and then there's your incredible soaring boat. Everything just had this urgency to it that to me is still just as fresh. I don't know. Are you comfortable with that song in particular being more or less your legacy or have you moved so past reflex in that chapter of your life that you don't even really think about it? I actually don't. I I don't think of it that way. Um, Hmm. You know, there was... I mean, it's the song that that obviously people remember me for, if they do remember me. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, it's it's a song that that band gets remembered for. Um, there there was a there was a lot of um, there was a lot of material we were all very very proud of. Um, sure. There was material, you know, on the on the second on the second album, Humanication, that uh, we were all crazy about. But you know something. Mm-hmm. There's there's always something about that very first album when you've had so long to create it, and uh, and the second album you have to create it in five minutes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but by that time, you know you've uh, you know all you need to do is kind of push push a creative button because you know where the path is going. I mean, you still have to write the songs, obviously, but but you know you know where sound wise you're going. When you talk you you. You talk about it being a, a synth band, you know. Um, it wasn't. It was just a new. It was a band. It was a new wave yeah. band. You, you yeah. mentioned the fix. Yeah, there was. You know, they were. They were the, the same lineup. Um, yeah. You know, stars, keys, and you know, we all had very sure. specific that we used. As you know, I did. Paul did. Actually, I had. I had a couple of specific things. Paul had a whole bloody pile of them. But, right. Um, you know, there was uh, there was a lot of electronic stuff in there, but we tried to keep it we tried to keep it so that it had um, it had a, an energy level to it that that obviously still still lent itself to that kind of rock thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Although we'd never call ourselves a rock band, um, 
But I try. Yeah, but to, I wouldn't call you a synth I, pop I, band either, would you? Yeah, I, I mean, I wouldn't call I wouldn't call us a synth pop band either. We were just, um, you know, we were just one of the new wave bands that had, yeah, fucking loud guitars. Yeah, um, yeah. I know, I know they were loud because everybody used to keep telling me in rehearsal to turn them down. So, <laughs> you know, it was, uh, it was, right. it was a lot. It was a lot of all of our influences. I mean, you know, Roly. Um, who has sadly passed away. Yeah. Uh, he, he was, he was uh, very much a jazz drummer and he wasn't, he wasn't the first drummer in the band, you know? He yeah. Was, uh, I want to talk more he, about that actually. Eventually. We, we will. Yes, I'm sure. Um, yeah. but Roly was, uh, Roly was Paul's, uh, first call and Roly was too busy doing his jazz stuff. Mm. So, uh, you know, so Phil Gould came in then, then Mark King came in, and by the time yeah. by the time they went off to do Level Forty Two, Roly came in, but he wasn't second choice; he was the first choice. Oh, so it's very okay. you know it's important for me, you know. Uh, as I say, sadly he's gone, but uh, yeah. you know yeah. if he was clear, it's important for me to point out he was the first choice for the band. He just, he just wasn't ready to do it yet. Right. So, right. But he had his influences in jazz and and in, and in pop music and dance music as well. Um, Nigel is just a monstrous, monstrous bass player. Yeah, he uh, is. No, he, <laughs> uh, he was always fighting to find find a way in between and over, you know, all of the synth bass stuff that Paul did as well. And I kind of just made a racket over the top of it. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, there there were lots huh. and lots of influences. Good. Good stuff. Um, okay, so I like I said, I got a million questions. I want to. I want to. Let's let's uh, diffuse this footloose um, uh, rumor. So let me recount. Oh, we talked about this earlier. That? Oh. <laughs> What's that? Yeah. I said, well, yeah. What rumor would that be? Yeah. So okay. So here's what I read. I read that either you were your band was asked uh like commissioned to write a song for the soundtrack or was in consideration politics of dancing was in consideration for the soundtrack and then for whatever reason it was not chosen ultimately now you we talked about this you have not seen this movie so you have you'll have no idea what I'm talking about but there's a scene in the movie where it's near the beginning where after church a bunch of the kind of teenagers after church go to this drive-in and music and dancing has been outlawed in this small religious town and the preacher's daughter puts a tape on a tape deck on a uh, like a ghetto blaster from back in the day and the whole place starts dancing. And instead of politics of dancing playing at that point, a song called um, Dancing in the Sheets by an R&B band called Shalimar plays instead.
And that was actually a pretty big hit. And the Footloose soundtrack went on to sell millions and millions of copies. And if you played your Politics of Dancing and Dancing in the Sheets next to each other, the synth beats are actually very similar. So I've been under the impression all this time that you got screwed out of being in Footloose and missed out on like millions of dollars in royalty checks or whatever. But you, you are tell correct. me. You, you what's are that? correct. You are correct. I am? <laughs> no. Oh, you I, 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 I actually uh, okay. have no idea. But now you've actually pointed it out, I feel really bad and I'm going to kill myself. <laughs> well, don't, don't do that. I mean, I'm, apparently I have this story wrong. Is there any connection between reflex, politics, and dancing and the Footloose soundtrack? As far as I know, uh, no. Um, hmm. I actually uh, I actually tried to get a hold of Paul um, to see what was uh, to see what the whole thing was on that, but I don't remember anybody ever mentioning anything around there. Um, you know, we did do stuff. For, we did reflex stuff for Superman and various bits and bobs, yeah. but I don't remember doing. Fo- I don't remember doing anything for Footloose. Huh. Wow. Uh, but, you know something? I'll get back to you on that one. Okay. I even uh, I even found the reference. One of them. I've read it in other places, but it's just a quick one. Uh, however, the song wasn't catchy enough for the producers of Footloose. They rejected the tune in favor of Shalimar's "Dancing in the Street." That's just one of that's just a reference I pulled up before our talk. But what was that? What was that bastard's name as well? <laughs> that is on your on the Reflex biography on AllMusic.com, and the guy who wrote it's named Michael Sutton. I don't know who that is. So Michael anyway, Sutton. okay, Sutton. Yeah. All right. All right. Well, I guess. Uh, yeah, well, well, there you go. I'm, we haven't got any solid answers, but you seem to know more about it than I do. Well, I'm just telling you what I heard. That's what I heard. Yeah, I know. I know. So, okay. So, now I want to know, what have you been doing for the last 30 years? I have, I mean, I have no idea. Are you even in music anymore? What do you do? Because let me say this too. You live in L.A. I mean, you guys were a British band, but you've lived in L.A. since before re- Politics of Dancing even came out, right? Oh, no, 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 no. Um no, I I uh I actually came uh right at the end of um right at the end of eighty four because because I was married in uh at the beginning of eighty five. Okay. So um I, I think I came over here in November or December uh to kind of moved to America. Um and then I was back and forth like a yo yo because we obviously mm-hmm. we had a second album to support. Uh we had more tour a lot more touring to do and uh and there were lots of projects, you know, uh reflex stuff that we did after politics. It didn't stop there. It didn't stop after communication. Okay. So uh yeah. There was uh uh that was so Politics came out what the end of eighty three or the beginning yeah. the beginning of eighty four, right? Um, so no, I was I was definitely uh, I was okay. definitely here after after politics came out. Okay, communication was in eighty five. That 
now uh, this is a whole this is another tangent we don't have to get too deep into it but did that album even come out like officially come out in the states i didn't even know it existed until recently no it didn't come out um there was um i'll tell you a little story so there was this chap uh that worked um he was the head of um radio promotion um, and uh a capital and okay. um he, he <laughs> i remember him walking into a, a restaurant i was in with my wife one night and they walked up to me and he said i am so sorry i apologize <laughs> uh, because basically he um because of because of his uh, departure from Capital. Um, supposedly, the independent radio people said either take him back, or we'll show you what's going on. Really? So um, we uh, they didn't take him back, hmm. and uh, and they they lost they lost position on uh, politics and. Um, and a few other bands. I think uh, Tom Dolby yeah. um, got nailed that time around. I don't think it did any, him any good. And I think Queen as well. Um, oh, wow. I think Queen had a, a track uh, that got, um, like, nobbled from the charts. Uh-huh. And there was somebody else as well, but I can't remember who it was. Anyway, uh, because of that, uh, there was some very, very bad blood going around. And um, trying to get anybody to... Uh, to support that second album um, politically, no pun intended, sure, um, was, was incredibly difficult and soul Had Reflex not, uh, you know, acquired enough juice that there would be some anticipation for a follow-up album? I mean, I know, I know that the I album I, I, and I the believe, song didn't I set the world we, on fire, but they were we, big. I believe we had, but um, uh, I don't think record companies really care at that point. It's like mm. you know what they say goes. Quite honest, yeah. if they. Um, if they don't want to, if they don't want to support you, if they've got some crazy bloody reason, then you know, and the independent radio uh, promotion, uh, when that's against you in the states in those days, I don't know how it is now, um, but uh, in those days it wasn't wasn't a very positive feeling all round, you know. I bet. Yeah. And were those? Uh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. All right, you didn't. So are the it sounded like was that kind of the inside again the inside negative politics was that already happening before the first album had even sort of run its course because oh, I feel uh, like hurt. Well, yeah, is, right at the end of it, yes, uh, before okay. it, it had extinguished. Yeah, before the light had extinguished on it. Yeah, yeah. It started because they because they 
basically we had the story goes that um the politics uh was about to be very highly placed um mm-hmm. in the billboard charts which would have basically put it over the top mm-hmm. uh but because we knew what that number was so um when all of this stuff when all of this political crap happened um it basically just doused it all and it wasn't it right. wasn't just for us it was for as i say a number of other people yeah. as well so um but it was um it was basically this chap and uh it kind wow. of fucked it up for all of us to be quite honest. yeah 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 well hurt is almost as strong a single i would think as politics of dancing was not like there's only one good song on that album, you know. There's oh, you, a, no, you were saying like a, yeah, there were there was some there was some very very good stuff on there. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, some of it was written right before we went in the studio. Um, I don't think uh, I don't think couldn't stand a day had been around very long. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sensitive hadn't been around. Uh, that those two songs had been around maybe a couple of months before we went in to do the demos. Uh, wow. EMI. Um, uh, Jungle, I think, was written in the, uh, the week before we went in the studio. Oh, um, wow. And uh, uh, and there was another. What was the other one on there? There was another. There was another Hitline. song. On. No, 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 no. Hitline was. <laughs> Hitline was the first. Um. Hitline was the first song that Paul and I, uh, Phil and, Fran- and Francois Craig, who was the bass player, right up until just before uh, before we went in to do politics when Nigel came in. Mm-hmm. Um, that band was that band was much more um, rock in inverted commas uh, than the the kind of uh, rocky dance band thing that we did, the new wave thing that we did yeah. uh, for the politics wow. album. So. Um, but yeah, Hitline had been around a long time. Well, this is music, and you can choose it. It's just a matter of taste, you say. But don't abuse it, or institute it. This could be another crazy day. Drop off the light, a disco music. It doesn't matter because it's all the same. A simple air, just let it air. A simple tune, just sticks in the try and get noticed i mean you just had to do anything you bloody well could so as i say there was no internet there was none of that stuff there was no chat rooms because there wasn't any internet so so we'd have we we'd fly post to london as best we could you know we'd go out at 3 30 4 o'clock in the morning and we'd paste up posters all over the place and then we got to the point where we'd take um you know we'd take spray paint and uh you know and cards with you know reflex 
on to spray through on on places and then we thought well screw it let's just do it on record company tours mm-hmm. <laughs> so we were basically we were basically just trying to you know get people to recognize the name we didn't realize how much it would piss them off but um mm-hmm. but we we'd go out there and we'd do all this stuff and um there was uh, there was a lot of laughing about it um you know after we did get signed to EMI because we we defaced the doors at EMI Manchester Square oh, and boy. the pathway whatever so uh, but it worked um and along with the fact that we were going out and playing a lot of uh, we we're going out and playing a lot of gigs in London and um we also you see there was a, there was a couple of things that happened um there was a young lady Sandy that um I was doing some uh, bits and pieces with Jobwise, and she she went to work for Miles Copeland, and took mm-hmm. a tape. Okay. And also and also not when Nigel joined the band, he brought John Punter. So, John Punter had worked with all sorts of people like Roxy Music and whatever in Japan, okay. and great band. Um, and um, so all of it's like all of these things kind of rolled into the they folded into this great cake mix and we and we managed to we managed to pull it off right but we've been working we've been working at getting this together um for ages i mean it's you know every from the beatles downwards you know everybody's got their story about you know how they got turned down or you know with the beatles it was mm-hmm. decker um and uh with us it was actually cbs turned us down um, oh, interesting. Okay. And, uh, and, told, and told us that politics would never be a hit. Um, but um, uh, anyway, that didn't happen because it was. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. Yeah. I was okay. like, prove you, bastards. Yeah. Yeah. So, was, was there a moment? Was, oh, go ahead. No, go on. Go on. Well, I was going to say, what was that moment like? Was there a moment when you felt like you got discovered? Was it you got signed? You were able to quit your day job and make a living being a musician. What was that? What was that moment? The big break. Uh, well, the big break. The big break for me was when I actually left the advertising industry. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, so that's what you were doing and before. And actually, and actually decided that. Okay, I don't want to do that anymore. If I want this to work, I've really got to put some some hard work into this and uh, mm-hmm. I think that was probably about a year before we got signed um, and we uh, you know we I remember walking into rehearsal one day and uh, Rowley was in Rowley and Paul were in there uh, sequencing something or other they're like what are you doing here <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, like, like, I'm here full time I said the same thing back to Rowley because he had a day job at the time as well mm-hmm. and um mm-hmm. It was like, Matt, nah, I'm done with that crap. Let's get on with it. So yeah. we did. Yeah. Okay. It took us a while, but we, you know, but we got there. Yeah. yeah. So, um, was was Paul? Is Paul kind of the driving? I mean, forgive me. Bands like bands that I seek out for this podcast, there's not always uh-huh. a ton of information on them out there, and that's kind of why I seek them out. I want to give them a chance to kind of tell their story. Was Paul more maybe the driving creative force in the band, uh, or were you guys co-leaders, or was it a group thing? What was kind of the dynamic? Well, 
the story the story is and it well it's not really a story it's just it's how it happened but um Paul's Paul's father actually came down to he he used this little um uh, this little mastering house and I was in there working with um a chap called Nick Lorne we were doing some demos of some of my stuff <clears throat> and evidently uh, Jack had said to uh, to Nick who's that guy singing my son is looking for somebody to form a band with and that's how that came down so mm. it was like it was it was Paul and I but Paul initially had um a lot of material and uh okay and it was bloody and it was bloody good material and uh um, yeah. so i mean i think he he didn't just i mean he he was the he was the self-appointed leader of the band, but he, okay. but deservedly so. I mean, he was he was very driven. Um, he was very driven to get this to work. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think he was any more driven than I was, but he did it in a much more. Um, uh, <laughs> how can I put this? <laughs> uh, a much more headmasterly manner. Okay, got it. <laughs> yep, makes sense. Uh, so he, yep. was, yeah, he was he was very in control of of. Mm-hmm. Of the space, um, okay. but it was and it was it, it was fine because somebody you know bands are not democracies. Let me tell you, yeah. there's always going to be somebody that has to be the guide, and uh, Paul was Paul was definitely that. None of us were particularly far behind him, but um, it, but he was he was definitely the one that took on the job, so to speak. Okay, okay. Yeah. Did um did any did that kind of you know internal dynamic did that lead to the dissolution of the band uh, that on top of communication just being completely shelved what brought it all down no 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 um no there, there no there wasn't any there wasn't any infighting in the band oh good uh, good no, any any further than uh. No, I want to play that part. No, you. No, let's yeah. do. Oh, let's. You know that, that which is normal stuff. No, there wasn't. Mm-hmm. There wasn't infighting in this band. Um, it basically had run its course. I mean, okay. we spent a lot. We spent a lot of years together, and um, and we just decided, you know, one day, okay, well, let's let's move on. Let's move on. Uh, yeah, I'm know, kind of. I'm fascinated by that. Because some bands don't do that, obviously. Maybe they're forced to end. Maybe they keep going. What what alternatives or what choices are you faced with at that moment that are more inviting than being in a successful or semi-successful rock band? And this is a question from an outsider. I mean, most people never get that kind of that level of fame and notoriety. So to us, it's like, why would you never? Why wouldn't you want to be in a rock band? But so many bands are like, eh. We kind of retired of it, ran its course. We got that. We we decided to quit. What goes into making no, that I, decision? After making that decision, I think there was uh, for me there was a uh, a major moment of oh, what the fuck do I do now? Mm. Um, uh, but it but it wasn't it wasn't because it was the wrong thing to do with the band. The the, the band had had run its course, and nobody was. Nobody was hurting any further than okay. Mm. So next next movement. Yeah. Were you thinking at that point that you would join another band, 
go solo? What what were you thinking your next steps might be? Um, I I went on uh, to uh, to do some some solo stuff. Okay. And uh, uh, which I which I worked on for quite a while. If I knew there was no tomorrow. What would I do today? Would all these voices all be silent? And with it everything go away? Got no light from the stars at night No sun and no wind and no rain today Just absolutely nothing left but silence Not one voice to cry I can't imagine the pain Tell me Open your eyes wide You see the beauty in this place You put on your Sunday best to take life in Get released? I mean, can you buy a Baxter album? Nope, you cannot. Wow. Um, oh man! But the thing is, well, as a as a side note to that, um, over the last couple of years, I've been pulling together all the stuff that I've done over the over the years. There, there's there's a whole story beside this as well, but um, there will be there will be something out there for people Great. Um, to hear of what happened after Reflex. Okay. And uh, so that, know. that's a very that's a very real thing. So okay, in fact, Great. in fact, I walked in fact I walked out of the studio to do this interview with you from working on that stuff. So wow, um, it just wow. happened to be uh, one of those times. Okay. So uh, yeah, I wasn't gonna. I, I never let. Um, I never really let go of, you know, being a singer and being a guitar player and being a writer. Mm-hmm. So, which I'm, I'm sure leads to a lot of other questions. Yeah. So, going back to the question I asked a while ago, and I got sidetracked. What have you been doing for the last thirty years? Uh, I have been. Um, um, well, the first the first short period of time after Reflex, I I, I worked on stuff for me. Um, okay. Uh, but after that, I spent um, a lot of time. 
doing uh, writing writing stuff for other people, um, uh, producing stuff. I spent a lot of time in development mode, um, mm. which was which was a lot of fun, but very frustrating. Yeah. But, um, yeah. So. And that's and how you make your living and pay your bills is producing others, writing songs for other people. I mean, I, I don't know that much about the music industry. Are you, is that how you're getting a steady paycheck doing that? A steady paycheck? No, no, no. If anyone, no, never. No, no, no. There, there's, there's, you know, labels would call me to write with uh, or write for other people. Okay. okay. And um, Anything so, we would know? Anything you would know? Uh, no, nothing. Nothing surfaced enough. Okay. Uh, to be quite honest, but uh, it was my job was mainly to get people to the point where they could rise to the occasion. Mm. Uh, that's that's what development is. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that you end up with with the song. There were there were lots and lots of different songs uh, released by lots of different people, but but they didn't take it any further. Mm-hmm. So you know, doesn't doesn't matter whether they were signed to Interscope or they were signed to A and M, they were signed to Capital or whatever. Um, it was up to them as artists to uh, you know to take it to that to that higher level, and okay. Uh, okay. and sadly, uh, not many of them did. Yeah. So uh, yeah, but that's what I've been doing, just helping other people um, live their bloody dreams, I suppose. Jeez. How does that feel? So, I mean, you're basically, it sounds like, basically kind of a hired hand for the last 30 years. You've maintained a career in music, just not a mm-hmm. career that's focused on you. It's on that's what right. you're, a service you're providing to other people. You're a guy behind the guy, right? Yeah, I'm a guy behind the guy behind the guy, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm the, I wouldn't say it's that far back, but I'm more than the club puppet. <laughs> okay, sure, yeah, okay. I, if, um, anything, I'm, if anything, I'm the puppet. On top of the hand. Got it. Okay, but you're still and you're still getting called. I mean, even today, right? I mean, the height of the reflex of reflexes success was 32 years ago, but you're still out there. You know. Yeah, I still get calls for you know, and it's you know a lot of it. A lot of it is because of those times. Yeah. Hmm. Now, do you see any? Do you make any money to this day off of politics of dancing or? The band or anything like that. Uh, yeah, I still I still make uh, little bits and pieces from from the band, but uh, you know, as with most of those albums, they they kind of go by the wayside, except for the except for the you know the big hit single stuff. Yeah. So, uh, well, I I ask because so for instance, some of the people I've interviewed, um, I mean, I guess we could consider it a one hit wonder or whatever. Some of the one hit wonders that I've talked to. Um, depending on how, um, depending on the le- you know how high the song got, how much it sort of continues on to this day, whether they also wrote it, you know, um, some people could make a living doing nothing but just living off the money they made from their one hit. Um, but it, I assumed that you guys were co-writers. Sounds like Paul wrote that song. So when you make money off of politics, how do you make it? The, the the whole the whole thing behind um behind uh writing is um if you're the main writer um, uh-huh. you know you get the you get the main lion's share to be quite honest 
Uh-huh. Yeah. That's how it goes. Yeah. So he's he makes he can live off politics and dancing, but you get pieces here and there. Yeah. Sounds like I don't think I don't think it's a case of Paul lives off of the politics of dancing, but right. well, yeah. dancing as a song has done quite well for itself over the years. Right. Okay. Okay. Um and I'm curious why I mean you like you guys are not you don't reform that I can tell anyway. I mean, according to Wikipedia, you got together when Raleigh died. But um, other than that, it's not like you're – what's that? Did we? Okay. Again, again, this is Wikipedia. Who knows what's true yeah, out there. But, yeah, apparently you guys wrote a single with the intention of releasing it, but it never got released. And um, Yeah, yeah Paul, and, Paul and Raleigh and I got together um, – to write uh, one last to do to record write and record one last song um, before Rowley passed away because he was he was heading very fast towards that time so okay um, this was uh, this was the the last thing that we did together so there, there there is there is another song sitting there waiting to be released at some point um, yeah and we'll we'll just we'll just tie it into uh, into some other stuff. That um, that the band did that people haven't heard from before. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, so is it never you know tempting to reform and and join on some kind of like nostalgia tour, you know, rewind yeah, I mean, festival or something like that? Yeah, it would be uh, it would be lovely to to do something with uh, with Paul and Rowley again. Uh, sorry, Paul, uh, Paul and Nigel again. Obviously, Rowley uh-huh. can't be doing it. Sure. Um, but uh, yeah, it'd be lovely to be uh, to be out there doing something with uh, with both Paul and, and Nigel. But um, we haven't we haven't actually talked about it because I suppose everybody's got their own lives, and it was a long yeah. time ago. But yeah. uh, but it would it'd be nice to do that. Uh, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it and sounds get, like. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I, I mean, I get I get asked on occasion to do. To do you know the eighties reunion things and whatever uh-huh. and i've I've talked to paul and and uh and Nigel about that, but uh I don't really seem to be up for that but huh. um you know hey you know, as I say, everybody's got their own lives, yeah, okay, okay, but well, I mean, it sounds like I don't know, I get the impression from talking to you, and you can correct me if I'm wrong that reflex those years you. <laughs> Good, please do. Um, that that reflex chapter of your life was just kind of a moment. It was one of many. It's not maybe the most important. It's unique, but it's not. You don't. You don't strike me as somebody who's living in the past too much. No, I'm not living in the past. Um, but but it was it was a great moment, and the moment the moment didn't really stop. Um, you, you you know those. Those things in your life don't happen very often. Um, yeah. So it was it, it was a it was a moment that didn't stop because you know you you I mean who wouldn't be proud of that? Sure, you know? sure. Um, so yeah, it's it's okay. it's just a very important moment, but the moment yeah. didn't stop, and there's no point living in the past on it. But you know, got it. Okay. Okay. Now, um, the Refuse box set, and I think it's so interesting for a band that was only together for a few, well, only together in the public's eye for a couple of years, 
uh, and who don't reform and who had one hit. You have a very active website uh, that's still out there, and um, and then this yeah, box set. Rip-flex.com. Yeah, yeah. Still there. Yeah. yeah. Um was the refuse so the I was I was re listening to the re, to the refuse box set this week to kind of prepare for our conversation. Um the first disc is material I wasn't familiar with. The second disc is the debut album, the third is Humanication, fourth seems to be remixes, and then fifth and sixth are more more album music that uh was kind of floating around out there, I assume. What's the breakdown of the box? Do you remember? Uh, well, the the third, the intentional first album, um, the intentional third album was um, uh, Jamming the Broadcast. Okay, I um, thought so. Which which was actually recorded in various bits and pieces, but intended intended as an album. Um, but we we actually recorded it as as demos at uh, at Paul's house in London. So um, okay, I remember I remember going back and forwards from you know from uh, from LA to London a number of times to, to get all that stuff done. So yeah. um, you know that was uh, there was a lot of work done by this band. There, there were there Sounds were a number like of different versions of this band. There was actually five of us in the band at one point. Oh wow! Um, so. <laughs> wow. There was uh yeah, there was another John in the band, another guitar player, um who then uh, went off to do some other stuff. Um, uh-huh. but um, you know, what with uh, what with Phil and and Mark. Mm-hmm. You know, there was uh, there's there's some great memories for the, you know, with this band. You know, as much as uh, the culmination of it really was probably politics. Um yeah. you know, we did some we we went out there and toured with the police. You know, there's some great memories from all that stuff. Sure. Uh, you know, that gave us the opportunity to go out and play um, play some very large venues. Yeah. When the, the first gig that we did here uh, was the Carrier Dome in uh, somewhere in upstate New York, which was bloody ginormous. Oh, wow. Uh, and, uh, you know, the, the largest shows like? we before that were just very, very, uh, you know, uh, like universities and colleges sure. and large, large, very large clubs in London or whatever. So yeah. to go from that to that was that was quite a shock, but that was great fun. So what you was know, that like? I mean, would you that big? Yeah. yeah, I imagine you guys kind of standing on the side of the stage and you see thousands of people out there, and um, granted, most of them are there to see the police, but you're performing in front of this group that this crowd you never seen before i mean were there was it nerves was it elation did you feel like you'd arrived what do they all blend <laughs> together very funny yeah i've heard that before did you feel like you had arrived uh no i i felt very very happy that i was so nearsighted i couldn't see most of it because it would have mm. scared the living crap out of me and no, it was great fun it was great fun you you, you just yeah. get out there and and I think if people see you having fun, they have fun too. So, sure. You know, we, sure. Had, we had a great time. That tour was stupendously fun. Was that your only tour of the States opening for the police? No, we did. Uh, we actually did a double header with uh, the Thompson Twins as well when they had nice. um, uh, Hold Me Tight, yeah. hold, me, hold Me Then, Hold, hold me, me Now. 
Hold me something. Hold, yeah. hold me now. It's a classic. Yeah, <laughs> it is a classic. It's a good song. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We went out and did. Uh, we went out and did a double header with them because we okay. still had. We obviously still had a lot of. Uh, a lot of energy behind uh, the politics album at that point. Sure. Okay. Yeah. So. Jam, so I'm con- so jamming in the broadcast now. I gotta say, I mean, no, no, jam- been... jamming the broadcast. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, of course. I'm sorry. No, right. You're right. Jamming the broadcast. I knew that. Jam the broadcast. Yes, that. Um, I mean, if the if disc five, I believe it. Yeah, disc five of the refused box is any indication. That I thought was your strongest. Like wall to wall, that would have been the strongest album. I I thought every song that would I imagine have been on that album was so tight. I really like that stuff. I mean, Humanication doesn't, I don't know if it even ever does come out. If it does, maybe it's in like a country, one country out there. Um, but you still have enough of a record deal that they're going to let you go make another album and shelf that one too? What's the thinking behind that? You know, I was always very confused by that. Um, it was like they had enough momentum to actually uh, to actually get another album out. and uh, But that's, that's obviously not the way it worked, you know? Yeah. Obviously not the way it works. You know, it was a lot of sure. a lot of time and, and uh, writing and emotion put into that album too. Yeah. So uh, they did actually put one single out and uh, and a couple of B sides that um, that we we actually uh, wrote very quickly to cover that because we didn't just want to put another track out from you know from from the actual album itself. So on the B side. Huh. So. Okay. Uh, yeah, there was um, there was a lot of momentum uh, with politics. Um, it, just bef- before the whole political thing went down, supposedly, uh, supposedly the album was uh, was set to to uh, to go further up the charts into the top five. So if it had wow. gone up there, it probably, it probably would have gone. There's no reason why it shouldn't have gone all the way. Yeah. So, uh, so that was a that was that was a that was a big big disappointment. It was heartbreaking. I bet. I bet. But, uh, you know. Hey. I can't imagine what that must feel like. I mean, <clears throat> to I have. Feel like, actually. <laughs> it feels like what? It feels like hell, actually, when that happens. I believe it. I mean, does it's that? There's a, a massive co- giant hug pulled up from under your feet. Yeah. 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 You guys are on the cusp, and. 
powers that be beyond your control determine your fate basically for the rest of your life. And it's not anything to do with you. I mean, it, no, no, we did, we did it. We did everything we were supposed to do. Um, you know, we supported, we supported everything that we were doing around the world, well, across America and across Europe and the UK and whatever, and Scandinavia, you know, whatever, yeah. all over the place. And, um, you know, and then it was, uh, you know, it was a big, a big letdown. I bet. I bet. Yeah. Did it um, sour you? I mean, is that one of the reasons why maybe you kind of retreated into solo work and um, for higher jobs and things like that? Were you just kind of over the band politics of the music industry? No, no I was never. I was never over the band. Um, as I told okay. you, there wasn't any. There wasn't any nasty stuff. I mean, yeah, we, that's true. We all very much loved each other and and got on great. Um, it's just that we, I suppose, we felt at some point. Uh, the four of us that we were kind of just beating a dead horse, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, and it was time to move on, so we we just gently moved on. But okay. I, I'm sure I, I'm sure all of us felt the same way I did the morning after we decided that that was you know that we we'd let it go. Yeah. Um, that, it was it was hard, but okay. you know. Yeah. Um. Okay, so I got a couple more things well, I want to ask. Talk, you. Let's talk about something happy. What's that? Let's talk about something happy. Yeah, yeah, okay. So a couple of things I want to ask you about. Uh, yeah. Number one is how in the world did you get on the Breakin' soundtrack? And do you even know you're on the Breakin' soundtrack? talked to some people on these uh, who are on soundtracks that are beloved to me and they don't I don't know that they even know they're there or they've never heard them. When I think of breakdancing I do not necessarily think of reflex. How did you guys get cut it on the break-in soundtrack? Oh, I'm totally with you man, neither do I. Um, you don't know either? <laughs> no, no, no. I, I don't I don't think of break I don't think of breakdancing either when I think uh, okay. of people. Yeah. I believe that was um I believe that that was uh that was um uh, a, a film thing that uh that Paul's father was um mm. because Paul's father was uh, was quite something in the music industry in London as well. So um I think, I think it was something that that he was involved with and uh, and we got pulled in to do and the, actually the first song that we ever recorded with um with John Punter uh, I believe was that track. Mm. Um, okay. So, 
did you write it specifically for the movie, or did they was it already written and they took it for the movie? I don't remember. Okay. Um, okay. Which which song was it again? Cut it. Cut it. Yeah. Uh, no, cut, we were out playing Cut It live. In fact, it was one of our favorite tracks to play live. Favorite oh, song, if I remember rightly. God, this is all so bloody long ago. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, 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 no. It's it's, it's fun, kind of catching up. I'm okay. glad you know more about it than I do. Um, the, uh, yeah, that particular track we, we've been out playing. Uh, we've been out playing live for for ages, and uh, okay. yeah, and we just we we went in and 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 cut it. Okay, <laughs> sure. Yeah, it makes so, sense, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, do you remember? And if this is too personal, just tell me. Do you remember how much you got paid for that kind of thing? And do you still make any money off break the break in soundtrack? Like if movie plays somewhere, do you guys get a little thirteen? No, I don't. I, I actually don't. No, I don't. Um, okay. I've got some bloody gold record laying around or platinum record laying around for it somewhere. But um, no, that was that was one of Paul's songs. Um, okay. Okay. That was one of Paul's songs, and uh, yeah, that was it. Okay. All right. Um, so let's talk about Mark King. I love Love Party. Okay. Okay. What do you want to know? Until recently, that they were, you guys even had a connection. That oh. Phil Gould and Mark King were in an early version of Reflex. Were you even called Reflex back then? No, I don't think we had a name for ages. Um, oh, wow. No, I don't think it was. Uh, yeah, actually, with Mark King, it was. It was called Reflex when Mark King was in it. Uh, Phil, Phil was in in the band for a very short period of time. Um, through every fault of his own. Uh, <laughs> He ended up not in the band, but walked in one day and said, my my friend Mark is going to play drums um, because I can't anymore. Uh, <laughs> so uh, it was okay. actually very funny. It was like, well, who the hell is this guy? Yeah. He was like, oh, no, he's all right. He's a, he's a really good drummer. Really? Uh, okay. All right. Uh, so he told us his story, and um, Mark sat down and played drums and absolutely blew our minds. Really? 
Yeah, there's there's a couple of things that are so so Mark King. I mean, as good a bass player as Mark is, I think he's I think he's still one of the most amazing drummers I've ever played with. Wow. He um, he uh, he had this he had this bounce thing. There's a there's a track that uh, we did called Bop Bop Music. that bloody song I mean it's got such a bounce to it um, that that's Mark King wow you know, everything that, that song is on the box plays as a drummer is just uh, just just very just very cool wow were you are you guys still friendly at all did you know each other that long was he in the band for very long yeah he was in the band for quite a while actually um, okay I haven't talked to him for a while now. Probably about time uh, for us to catch up again. But um, yeah, he um, he was in the band for quite a while. Um, there was a, there was this change in the middle there where um, you know Mark Mark went off to do his level forty two thing um, about a year before we did the politics thing. Mm. I think it, I think it was something like that. Anyway, I can't remember exactly. Mm. And uh, and probably about. I don't know, maybe six months after Mark left, then uh, Francois threw the towel in as well. Okay. And and, uh, and then that was when Rowley and, and Nigel came in. Hmm. So, uh, and that's... Yeah. Basically, you change your rhythm section out, you've got a different band. Yeah, yeah. You know, because everything, uh, everything gets taken a different, a different way. Sure. So... Uh, yeah, but Mark and Mark and Phil went off and did level forty two and did That's incredibly amazing. well out of it. Um yeah. you know, all past him, it was great. But uh but Mark was <laughs> I think I think the reason Mark Mark got out front was because he he just did not want to be stuck behind a kit as good as he was. Um <laughs> you know, he's the craziest bloody bass players I've ever known. Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. You know, uh, this was a man that, you know, you could say to him, you know, play this time signature with one hand, a different one with another, and a different one with each feet, uh, with each foot, <laughs> with each uh-huh. feet. Right. Cool, did you go to, John? Um, <laughs> you know, and then uh, and then he'd 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 click he'd click his bloody mouth in a in a completely different. Oh my gosh! You know, wow. and if he put a stick in his mouth, he'd play something with that in a completely yeah. different signature. He was just one of those people. It was a lot of fun to play with. We did uh, we did a lot of a lot of uh, shows with. Good. Uh, a lot of shows with Mark. So um, yeah, I love Rowley. Rowley was the Rowley was the one that brought 
the um, you know the the groove mm-hmm. uh, the groove thing. Um, and um, him and Francois were great as a rhythm section. Francois Craig, mm-hmm. um, they were they were stunning as a rhythm section. But um, you know, as I say, you know, Francois left as well, and then yeah. uh, Nigel came in and. And it became it became a lot more a lot more uh dancey. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um well for that time period, I mean New Wave, that's probably the best. I mean, politics of dancing was a good was a high charted high on the dance charts. So maybe it was for the best. At least for right then and there. Oh no, absolutely it was for the best. Yeah. I mean yeah. the, you know, these three guys uh that I played with in that band were they were fucking great. Yeah. You know, when we were <laughs> when we were when we were kicking, we were seriously kicking. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. And it was Good. very, very high energy. Good. Um you know, we would uh the, the side fills that were pumping the band out towards it always felt like I was just I was, I could just go up and play along to my own album, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was it was just it was stunningly powerful life. It was great. Great. When you look back on that period, what what's the what would what do you consider the highlight of your career? What's the most dominant memory, or the happiest memory, or what is that moment? Hmm. I think probably getting on, uh, probably, probably getting on stage and supporting the police. Really? Um, there was part of that, but I think the first time I ever heard politics on the radio, mm. <laughs> and uh, and the and the radio, <laughs> the radio, the guy, the guy, um, I think one of the one of the promo people at EMI. Uh, called and had me talk to them, and it, th- at that moment it was like, okay, we've done something that people get. Mm-hmm. That was that, along with you know getting on, uh, you know getting on stage to support the police and uh, and seeing your album go up the charts. You know, there, I don't think there is one thing. Okay, there is one thing, but they they kind of all roll into this thing of. Oh, for fuck's sake! Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Do you have a regret? Is there a is there a dominant regret? Uh, yeah, it's it's that that promotion guy was uh, was there at, at Capital. Uh, that's yeah. my regret that he yeah. that he ever existed, um, because there was absolutely nothing we could do to control that situation, and it basically just it pretty much shut us down. Yeah. So that's 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 my big regret. Okay. That's my big regret. Is there a personal regret? I mean, something that a choice you made or a move you made um, at any point, I guess, in the last thirty-five years that um, sticks with you or haunts you or anything like that? Uh, not really. No. Okay. Um, Good. You know, if you, I think I'm like most people. You know, you do. You do absolutely the best you can uh, to just keep moving forwards. Sure. And um, 
you know, if there's any personal regret, it's that um, I didn't make more of it work. Um, but there's a hell of a lot of work that went into it not yeah. working in places and a hell of a lot of work that went into it working. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, it's uh, it's getting through life and learning about life, I suppose. Yeah. You keep, um, keep, on, keep on learning, you're doing all right. Stop sure. learning, fucked. Yeah. yeah. Do you have uh, kids, family? What's your... No, I was a kid. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, I don't okay. have children. No. Not that okay. I know of. Well, there you go. All right. <laughs> um, well, good. Uh, I um, That was pretty much everything I wanted to ask you about. I uh, I just, again, want you to know that... <laughs> I mean, you've accomplished a lot of great things in your life, and you're obviously content with where uh, you are today. But if it means anything to you at all, you did something once 32 years ago that makes my life better. And, uh, I mean, granted, there's more than just the one song. I like, I'm on board for everything that Reflex did. But one particular song, I'm a firm believer that a that a four-minute pop song can change your life because it can change your mood. And if you have control over your mood, you can access that control whenever you want it. And there are very few things in this world that make me as happy as hearing the politics of dancing. And that's a credit to not just Paul, but to your voice, your playing, what you did. And I want to thank you for that. Well, thank you very much. I really, uh, yeah, I really appreciate it. That's very touching. Thank you. Good. You bet. There's, um, there's still stuff to come from me. Um, Good. I've, uh, just as a um, a little addition, um, I started doing a project uh, a short while ago with uh, a man called David Harris, um, who used to be in a band called Fashion. Okay. And uh so we will be putting something out uh, very soon concerning that too and uh then you'll hear the other side of then you'll hear the other side of me and you'll probably hear the it. other side of David it. too. <laughs> oh. I would love that. So uh so that's uh, that's on the cards too along with Good. um I'll be putting stuff out that's uh, that's just me as well. So Good. it's not over yet. <laughs> Good. Do you have I mean yeah. Do you have a website, or, or how do people find you? I mean, I I stay connected to Reflex on Facebook, but maybe you prefer your anonymity. How do people stay in touch? And well, up, like, up, up to this, up to this point, the anonymity has worked the, the way it's worked, but uh, there there will be there will be something up there at some okay. point when uh, when there's um, when, there, when there's something completed, um, I will give you a call. Okay. And, um, and I will send you things. Oh, yeah. And it. you can hear it, and you can either enjoy the shit out of it or not. <laughs> uh, I would probably never tell you if I didn't enjoy it. I would just uh, think of something nice to say. But I have a feeling I would enjoy it. <laughs> well, I hope, I, I hope you do. <laughs> yeah. Hope um, you do. I'll, I'll try. And, I'll try and find some. Uh, some triplet guitar stuff to put over there just to make you feel at home. Yes, please do. And some Bowie references.
All right, there you have it, Baxter from Reflex. Good dude. Um, I don't know, he doesn't seem like the most nostalgic or sentimental guy in the world. But I've gotten to know him a little bit since the interview, and he's a really good guy. He was nice enough to send us over some of his music, including what you're listening to now that's never been released. Solo stuff that he works on still to this day. Uh, it's pretty cool. Pretty cool when you, uh, when you learn what these guys are doing now, when you haven't heard from them for so long. All right, in the weeks ahead, next week we're going to Canada, Toronto specifically, to speak with the band Toronto and thrash legends Anvil. Rob Reiner from Anvil, anyway. Uh, big thanks, as always, to Aaron Syrett for producing this podcast. Also, I want to thank my brother Steve, brother from the same mother, uh, Steve Lamoureux, for helping us get up to speed on some of our social media presence. He's going to be managing a lot of that going forward. And um, as always to you guys, thanks for listening. Send me a message at thehustlepod at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter. Find us on TuneIn. Find us on Facebook. Whatever you want. Thanks, everybody. Yeah. i got a lot of yeah. Like Audrey's coat hanger chic. She looks like a woman. Got a bald race boutique And that's the only way to see her She looks like a woman And she got a whisper in her eyes She gets me every time I can't believe I love so hard I can't believe so much in Like a woman